I appreciate what Nick uh, had to say. He's not Bo Jackson. That's true. I, I, I would agree with that. But everybody wants a baseball card. I, it's been really cool to see how many of you guys have done that, gone online, shared your story. And God's using that. People are reading that. And it's a great way to share the gospel. So very exciting. We, we are in week two of our series, Storied. And so we're taking a look at the parables of Jesus, this master storyteller, but we're also really taking a look and, and seeing what does God want to do as he's writing the story of our life, and we want, him to, we want to give him the freedom to do that. You know, here's the thing. I, I entitled today's message, we're going to be in, in Luke chapter 15, by the way, Luke chapter 15. I've entitled today's message, Everybody Hates a Cliffhanger. And I don't know if you do, but I, I do. Man, Amy and I just finished up the um, second series of this Netflix uh, series that we're watching. I'm not telling you what it is because you'll think way less of me. Um, but it, it, it ended, and it's going to be like a couple months before they come up with season three. And I'm like, are you serious? Like all these characters, I'm like super into all these characters, and like it just ends. I need to know what happens, right? And it was funny. I shared that in the first service. I got back to my office, and my, my niece she said, I know what you're watching. She called the series. She picked it out too. So anyways, but, but, but I, I sort of hate a, a cliffhanger. But we're going to see the ultimate cliffhanger today as Jesus tells this story. It's going to be some really cool reasons why he leaves it that way. So let's pick up in Luke chapter 15. It's where Nick was last week in week one of this series because in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories right in a row. He, he tells the story of the lost sheep, he tells the story of the lost coin, and then he tells the story of the lost son or the, the prodigal son. But each of these three stories, the, the audience is the same. And so here's the audience, Luke chapter 15, verse 1. I want, to, want us to take a look. We see who the audience is, and that's going to help us understand the story a little bit more when we understand the audience. Now, look at verse 1. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, which is a fascinating thing. People that were far, far from God, who were outcast in the culture, uh, they just drew near to Jesus and found just acceptance there, grace and mercy and truth there. Now, verse 2, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so in the next breath, you have the spiritual insiders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the people that thought they were right with God because of all of their knowledge, because how they understood and applied all the traditions and all the laws. They thought they were right with God, but Jesus is going to expose them and show them that they are just really, really far from God. What's fascinating is what they said they, they thought was a dis on Jesus was actually true, that he, he does eat with, 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 with sinners. And so it's, it's interesting that... That we see that. Now let's look on down at verse 11 and let's take a look at this third story just for a few minutes this morning. And for those of you who are watching online, we are just super glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. Let's look at verse 11. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. And right there you said, I know this one. Like, I know this one. I know this story. And, and so do I. It's really not about knowing this story. It's really about seeing another facet of this story that we've never seen before because in this story, the story of a prodigal son, uh, you're going to see yourself in this story. People say, well, which brother are you? Are you the younger brother or are you the older brother? And I say, both of them. just depends upon the day. But you're going to see a facet of the father. You're going to see the, the, your, your father in maybe ways that you never have before. I've studied this story all my life, and every single time I look at it, I see something else. God shows me something else that I've missed. So I hope that happens today. There was a man, let's go back to the text, who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Just let that sit a little bit. Can you imagine one of your children coming to you and just saying, 
just really getting sick and tired of waiting on you to die, ready for you to move on so I can have what's coming to me. I will confess I've said not, not that to my father. I have said I would want your boat. Please take care of it when you die. But I don't want my dad to, to go. I haven't done that. But it's just such an arrogant statement. I mean, we can't even get our mind around the audacity for a younger son to say, hey, I want what's coming to me. I want it now. I could care less about you. I just want your stuff. Well, that's tough, isn't it? Watch the father's response. So he divided the property between them. Nobody would do that. In fact, what you're going to see in this story, I'm always reminded, is, is we're going to know people like the two brothers. We just don't know anybody like the father, right? Every move he makes is different than what we would make, and it's going to help us understand God. So he divided the property. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, which all he had was what? what the father had given him, right? So he got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. Like, he sets off for a different country because he's going to just live a rebellious life, and he thinks he's going to be out of sight of who? His father, right? Again, it's like playing, playing hide-and-go-seek with a two-year-old. They just hide in the center of the room, cover their face. They think you don't see them. That's kind of what we think sometimes we think we're hiding uh, from God. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. Th this reminds me of a very important principle. God will do whatever is necessary to turn the heart of his children back to him. And he does it in this story. There's a severe famine in the whole country, and this boy began to be in need. He's starting to experience brokenness, right, which is not a bad thing. So he went and hired himself out to be a citizen of that country, and, he, and, and the, the person that he's working for sent him to the field to feed pigs. Now, again, we're familiar with this story, but if we were listening to Jesus tell this story and the audience that was around, they would have been appalled at this. Like, this is the worst possible job imaginable for a Jewish boy to be working uh, with pigs, unclean animals. So he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything to eat. So what do we see? We see this young man who is setting out right? To, to, he thinks experience fullness, right? Because fullness or pleasure or excitement we think is always out there, but he's experiencing brokenness, right? He's in a desperate situation. When he came to his senses, I love this, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? He said, I know my dad. I know all that my dad has, and he's got people working for him tonight that are throwing food away because they have more than they need. Now, I just want you to do me a favor. I want you to hold that line when the young man says, how many of my father's servants have more food or have food to spare? What he's going to, this is what he didn't know about his dad yet. He didn't know that his dad also had grace to spare. And we're going to see that in just a few moments. So he says, I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, he's rehearsing his speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. There's never any reconciliation between us and God until we admit what the real problem is, and it's always our sin that has separated us from God. So he's not justifying it any longer. He's identifying what it is that is the barrier between the two. 
I'm no longer to be called one of your sons. Make me, this is one of, to me one of the most important phrases in this text, make me like one of your hired servants. What does he say at the very beginning of this parable? Give me my share of the inheritance. That's kind of the heart of rebellion, isn't it? Give me, give me, give me. The heart of true discipleship is, Lord, I'm ready for you to make me into what you want me to be, right? Make me into one of your servants. So he got up and went to his father. I love this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. Remember what I said a few moments ago? You know people like these two brothers. But you don't know anybody like this father. A boy who said, Dad, I wish you'd just go ahead and die so I could have what's mine. The father goes ahead and gives it to him. He spends all of that in wild living. And yet the moment that this boy turns with just a seed of repentance, he just spins and turns back to the father. The father, how does the father know he's coming back? Because he's doing what? He's watching for him. He's looking for him. Can I just tell you something? Are you beginning to see more of the heart of our God? He's watching, and then he runs. The father runs, which, again, for us, we think that, that's kind of cool, but we don't really get the full significance of that. In, a, in, a, in this first century culture, in an ancient culture, the patriarch, the father, would never humble himself and pull up his robe and run in the direction of this rebellious son. He would never do that. And, and, and this is kind of, this is sort of a, a big part of this story because in the religious world for them, it was all about what they needed to do to get to God. There was never a concept of God doing something to come to us. The son said to his father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. He's not rationalizing. He's not justifying it. He admits freely the cause for his separation, which is his sin. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father interrupts him. He doesn't even let him finish his spiel, right? Which gets to the heart of our father. But look, look at verse 22. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. I want to stop right here for just a second. Please, those of you who are watching online, I want you to hang with me for a second. This is a powerful statement, and I really believe this. I really believe that if you and I could understand the weight of what is happening here, it would radically change everything about our life. It's that good. The father says what? He says, bring the best robe. So I want to ask a question. That's one of the great ways to study the Bible. Ask questions, right? Who had the best robe? The father had the best robe. So in essence, what is he saying? He's saying, bring this boy what? My robe. Bring him my robe. And so to that we think, well, that's cool. Let's go a little bit deeper. This parable is painting a spiritual picture. It's helping us understand spiritual realities that are a little bit confusing for us. This parable is painting a picture about what happens the moment that we repent of our sin and trust completely in Christ, then we receive a robe of righteousness. We receive the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. Is that a powerful thing? So that's what happens is we trade in our unrighteousness for the very righteousness of Jesus Christ and we 
we are covered in his righteousness. Is that a powerful thing? Because everything in my mind, I constantly am reminded of my past, my mistakes, and my failures. Anybody here like that? Nobody, you're better than me. Good for you. But, but the truth of Scripture is that we are covered in the righteousness, the robe of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's how God sees you if you are in Christ, or that's how God could see you if you'd let him cover you. Isn't that fascinating? And then not only that, you know, maybe if it's difficult to understand the robe, I think it's even more difficult to understand the next thing that he does. But all of these three things have incredible spiritual significance, and they really unlock so much freedom in our life. So bring uh, the best robe and put it on him, which would have been his. Bring a ring and place it on his finger. The ring was the family ring or the signet ring. It, the, 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 when, when the father placed the ring on the son's finger, it was saying, you're not coming back as a servant. You're back as a son. It was a family ring. And then it, that, all, all he wanted to do when he asked, he said, just make me like one of your what? Servants. No, you're not going to be a servant. You're, you're going to be a son. And the signet ring also, listen, in, in the ancient culture, uh, there wasn't any kind of a business deal. There weren't any legal proceedings. Nothing of any significance was able to transpire without the signet ring. I mean, this patriarch would have been able to settle disputes by land, right, in conflicts with his signet ring because that was his authority, was able to purchase land, not, didn't, uh, just on the promise of what was going to come, the payment was going to come if they saw the signet ring. It represented his authority, right? I always tell people there's a difference between power and authority, right? If you're going to watch, uh, go home today, watch the Titans first football game, again, the best way to understand that, the players on the field have power, but the skinny guys in the black and white have authority, right? That, that's true, isn't it? Right? I mean, some little skinny guy throws a yellow flag and on these massive men walk backwards in the direction he's telling them to go because he has authority. Let me tell you something. Here's the thing about the ring. It doesn't just say you're in the family. It says you have authority, God's authority to walk in victory and power. You don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. You can find freedom from that which has held you back. You don't have to be a slave to anxiety and fear and discouragement. You can have authority to walk in a whole new level of freedom. That's what the ring brings. Bring the robe, bring the ring, and bring the sandals. The sandals were given to free men and free women. Slaves didn't have them because if slaves had shoes, they might run. You gave Shoes in the ancient world as a sign of freedom. Isn't that significant? Isn't that what Jesus wants for you and I? Freedom. But that's the last thing we think. Verse 23, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. I got in such trouble. I remember preaching this. I was so excited. I was a 21-year-old uh, guy uh, preaching one of my first sermons. And uh, I, I got to this point. I was just fired up. And I said, we serve a God who loves to party. And uh, this dude grabbed me after church. I mean, this old guy, he pinned me up against the wall. He said, don't ever say anything like that again. I said, what did I say? I thought I'd cussed or I didn't know what I, you know, said. Uh, he said, God loves to party, all the connotations that come with that. And, he, he, you know, all right, I, I get your point. The point I'm making is in these three parables in Luke chapter 15, in every single one of them, when something is found, our God celebrates, right? He celebrates. You see, maybe you didn't grow up with an understanding of God like that. 
Bring the fatted calf, kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And so they begin to celebrate. Verse 25, meanwhile, here goes the music changes. Let's come to a close. Let's take a look at this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. I mean, he comes back from the field and there's a party going on. The whole community has turned out for this celebration and he doesn't know what's going on. I mean, you think about that. He should have been the one that was putting all the preparations together, yet he has no clue. In fact, he asked. So he called one of the servants, verse 26, and asked him, what's going on? The servant says, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Take a look at this. But when, verse 28, the older brother became angry, and refuse to go in. Would you underline that if you have your, your Bible open? He refused to go in. He doesn't take advantage of what could have been his. So his father went out. Again, here's God doing what? Coming to him. Do you see that? Isn't that cool? Continuing to pursue him, and he pleads with him. So the father went out and pleaded with him. Pleaded with him to do what? To come in. <laughs> to enter into this celebration. Take your place as my son. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. So this tells us a lot about his mindset. Everything he was doing for the father, he wasn't doing it out of love for his father. He was doing it out of obligation for his father. He was trying to earn something from his father, you see? And then watch how this, watch how this changes. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. That's delusional, Right? Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. He got prime rib. I got nothing. Look at verse 30. This is so powerful. But when this son of yours, he doesn't say my brother, right? That's interesting. He just sees him as dead to him, right? That gives us a lot. That tells us a lot about his heart, doesn't it? But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fatted calf. Now, we learn something different here. Like we get another facet of the story. The older brother gives us another detail about the young, what the younger brother was doing. He says, this, this, this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours squandered, squandered all of your money and he did it with prostitutes. Now the earlier part it just said he spent, his, spent all of his money on wild living. Why does the older brother say that? Well, I think there's a couple reasons for that. It kind of gives us the heart that he was checking in on him, like building a case, but wasn't, wasn't really concerned about rescuing him. But another thing I think he's saying is, listen, that's a point of no return. Like, right? I mean, doing what he did, you don't forgive that, right? I mean, going and throwing a couple parties and living a little crazy, but then spending everything that you had on prostitutes, that has crossed the line. And nobody comes back from something like that. I believe there are a lot of people that are held hostage today because they believe they have crossed a line that they can never return from. It was an abortion earlier in your life. It was some of you that are watching right now that are incarcerated and you're watching this service from your cell and there are some of you have, who have taken another person's life and, and that's why you're where you are and, and maybe for the rest of your life. But what's even worse is the enemy is sharing a lie to you to say you have crossed over a line that you can never return from. 
That's not true. You see, no one, this is what the older brother didn't know. There's not anyone in this room, can you look at me? There's not anyone watching online. There's not anything that you have ever done in your life that is out of reach for the grace and the mercy of our God. Is that good news? That's great news. But it's what the older brother didn't didn't know. Like, that's why he brings up the prostitutes. That's clearly over the line, right? Now, now watch, watch this. Listen to the father's response. Again, I always say this when you, when you study this. You know guys like these two brothers. Sometimes people say, Pastor Brady, which one do you relate to, the younger brother or the older brother? I say both. It just depends on the day, right? Verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me. I love this line. And everything I have is yours. He didn't know that. Do you, do you understand this truth? Most people who are followers of Jesus Christ, don't know that. They don't know all that we have access to through our relationship with our God. And so we live in spiritual poverty most of our life, if not all of our life, because we never know all that we have. Listen, everything you need to live a life beyond what you could even dream, you already have available to you through your relationship with Christ. It is growing in your understanding and growing by faith so that you can take hold of all that God has for you. You see? That's why the Father says, everything I have is already yours, but we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found. And then the parable ends. Like, with a, it's a cliffhanger. I'm like, no, 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 no. Please tell me that he comes in. Please tell me that the brother says, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm just as guilty as my younger brother. Forgive me. He comes in, and, and, and both of them are celebrating. I, I want to know it ends that way, but it just ends. It's like the ultimate cliffhanger. And to that, I'm like, Jesus, this was such a good story. And it had the potential of being a great one. But you didn't finish it. Or did he? Maybe the cliffhanger was intentional. In fact, we really know how the story ends because the people listening to the story, the Pharisees and the scribes, we know exactly what they did. They killed the storyteller. They didn't come in, right? Aren't they the ones? Do you understand the point? Can you nod? Aren't they the ones that yelled, crucify, crucify, just a few months later? They killed the storyteller. But what Jesus is doing before this is he's looking right at these folks that think they are right with God because of their performance, and he's saying, what's your next move? But here's the real issue. Let's bring it right down as we close. Let's bring it right down to us. How will the story end for you? Because maybe for some of us today, our life is sort of in this cliffhanger moment. And how's the story going to end? Is it going to end with you on the porch or with you in the house? You see, there were two brothers, right? One was a rebel, one was a rule follower. One was restless, one was resentful. One was full of lust, one was full of law. One stayed home, one left home, but neither one of them were at home because they didn't know their father. They didn't love their father. 
One murdered his dad, the other murdered his brother. But here's what they had in common, these two brothers. They both believed a lie. It was just a different one. You see, here's the fact. The first brother believed this. The younger brother, the younger brother believed this. That, Father, you are, you are withholding something behind your back. The good stuff is out there, and I've got to go because pleasure, satisfaction, fullness, it's all out there, and most people believe that. Do you hear me? Most people believe that. College students, I'm, I, I love getting a chance to speak to you. High school students right here on, on my left, I, I know what it's like to be where you are. I, I know you think, I, I can't really believe that. I, I do. It seems like yesterday, yet it was 30 years ago, but in my life, I, 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 I believe the lie of the younger brother that the good stuff was out there. High school students, same thing. Good stuff is out there. Well, here's what I've come to realize. The good stuff is right here inside of relationship with my dad, that everything I could ever want or ever need I already have it, right? Now, here's the thing. The older brother believed a lie. It was a different one. He believed that his standing with the father, watch this, he believed that his standing with the father was based completely on his performance. In other words, the only way he will ever love me is if I deserve his love through my performance and my achievement, and he lived his life as a slave. You see, I've been there too. I've been there thinking, God, the only way that you can love me or the only times you love me is when I behave and most of the time I don't and I just feel like you turned your back on me. I believe that I had to earn something from God. It took me a while to realize that a real relationship was when I, by faith, received my standing from God. Does that make sense? You see, that's what... That's what the older brother didn't know. See, one stood outside while the other stood inside. It's kind of where we are today. The father's pleading with the older brother to come inside and celebrate. It's time to come home, and maybe that's what God's doing in your life today. You see, here's what the younger brother found out. Remember when he said, I tried to draw your attention to it. In my father's house, his servants, there's food to spare. But when he turns with all of his guilt and all of his shame, when he turns in repentance and comes home, what does he find out? He finds out from his father that there is grace to spare. And I just so, in these closing moments of this service, I so want you to understand that about our God, that no matter where you are and no matter what you've done, there is grace to spare if you would receive it. But here's why it's so hard. Listen, the irony of forgiveness is this. Forgiveness from God is not for those who get their act together. It's for those who finally admit that they can't and they surrender to the king and God begins to change them one step at a time 
That's what the brother does. You know, in just a few moments, we're going to give you a chance to respond. In minutes from now, we're going to give you a chance to respond. And, and remember what I said, that the two brothers had a lot of differences, but they had one thing in common. They both believed a lie. For some of you, this idea of coming into a relationship with God, going public and being baptized, which in a sense is, is coming into the house, getting off the porch, coming into the house, and taking your place at the celebration. But here's what you'll say, or here's what you'll think. I need to get my act together first. Can I tell you something? On your own, you will never get your act together. It's only when he covers you in his robe, gives you this ring, sandals for your feet, that you have a new identity. You have new power available to you through the Holy Spirit that begins to give you an ability to live your life at a whole different level. Don't believe the lie. Here is, in essence, what the father is saying as he's pleading with the older brother. I think he may be saying it to you today. To those of you who are watching online, would you listen? 30 seconds. Come home. Be covered. Be victorious. And be free. But right now, your life is kind of like a cliffhanger. Right now, in this moment, How's it going to go? Are you going to stay on the porch? Are you going to come in? How do we come in? The same way that this younger brother came in, admitting your sin that has separated you from God, turning in repentance back to him, and then letting him do the rest. He'll cover you. He'll put a ring on your finger and sandals on your feet. So today... That's the next step. Some of you would say, that, that's me. I need to come home. I'm tired of being on the outside looking in. If this is the way that my God loves me, if this is what he wants to do in my life, then I'll trust him. For some of you, that's trusting him as your Savior and Lord for the first time. For some of you, it's being obedient and going public with your faith through baptism. I can't think of a single, single case in the New Testament except for the thief on the cross. It's kind of hard to be baptized that afternoon when you die that morning. I can't, that was not well said, but I can't see of a single case in the New Testament where somebody chooses to follow Christ and doesn't follow through with obedience through baptism. That's all I know. And you'll never be free until you obey. So would you stand all across this room as we close? Listen, as you're standing, can you listen? There'll be folks waiting right now in the next steps room. If you're ready to come home, be covered, be free, go public with your faith through baptism. There are folks waiting in the next steps room. We're going to have staff right down here at the front. If you'd like to talk to one of us, pray with us, we'd love to do that. We're here for you. I'm going to ask others, believers, would you listen? Believers, would you listen? I'm going to ask you to come to the altar and pray. It'll do two things. It will invite the power and the presence of God into this moment and it will take away some of the awkwardness of the moment as you move and come and pray. But don't wait. We have a chance to run to a Father who is full of grace and mercy, 
Don't stay on the porch. Come in and experience the celebration. You come to Christ either here with us or at the Next Steps room as we sing. You come.